All right, man. Hey, so I'm I'm at my office right right before I'm coming here, and a lady that I work with, I mean, off the cuff, I didn't tell her what I was coming to do or anything. Right. I'm, I'm not even sure if, if if she knows about the podcast or not. Right. And she's telling me this story, and she says, "Oh, well, my my great great grandmother um, had a curse cast on her by the Bell Witch." Oh, that's super. And I'm like. That's amazing. Yeah. She's like, it almost killed her. I'm like, well, that's terrible. That's but not that story amazing. Is yeah. amazing. <laughs> right. We need to talk to her. Oh, yeah. Like, we need so, to interview her. So she told me the story. So her great great grandmother um, was about 16, and Kate Bell mm-hmm. wanted to buy a pair of her white geese. Right. And she, she wouldn't sell them to her. And so she got mad and she put a curse on her. Oh, wow. And, and she got really, really sick. I mean, she was near death. And they went to a white witch mm-hmm. in Greenbrier, Tennessee. Right. Been there. And the witch told him to told her father to carry her across Sulphur Fork Creek mm-hmm. at a specific time of day and she'd get better. And it worked. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So all the, all these people they they ask Man, why y'all are in Tennessee? Why don't you do Bell Witch? Why don't you do the Bell Witch? And I was, I tell them all, you know, look, we're not going to be able to tell you anything you hadn't heard a thousand times, except that until now, <laughs> right? So I think we need to interview her. Yeah, I do so, too. I do uh, too. All right. So why don't we get into this? Yeah, let's let's go. All right, three, two. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, Matt, how are you? Man, I I scorched the heck out of my tongue eating on the way over here. Oh, good. <laughs> Shoved a hot chicken finger in there. So like, you'll be talking like this the whole episode again, yeah, huh? Yeah, you know, we'll have that piece of skin that hangs down. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, speaking of talking funny, y'all can probably hear it in my voice, but I am in severe pain from almost breaking my pinky toe earlier oh god how did you do that i was trying to walk out of the graveyard here and go get some water and i kicked the hell out of the wall for some reason the wall jumped in front of me (laughs) they do that they do that and uh (laughs) so i smashed my toe on that and i end up i'm like laying on the ground holding my foot and dallas walks into the room and sees me laying on the ground and then rolls over on his side. <laughs> I'm like, no, we're not doing this. Like, okay, here we go. Yeah. Yay, hey, we're laying on the floor. Yay. So apparently my voice will crack because of pain. Matt's voice will be talking like this because he burned his <laughs> tongue. I burned my tongue. And, uh, <laughs> I hate that feeling. Oh, I know. Uh, we wanted to remind you guys about our live event. And like we said before, we're going to keep doing this until y'all show up. Um, so it is yep. October 20th here in Nashville, at Hail Dark Aesthetics with 
hillbilly horror stories, EVP mediums, and macabre melts. So go on our website, graveyardpodcast.com, click the link, and go buy you some tickets. Yep. We're looking forward to it. It's getting yep. closer. Yep. I'm getting excited. We're, we're getting into that... Uh... Adam's going to redecorate the graveyard season. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's already happening. It's, a, it's a, I mean, it's out there. I mean, I walked through Walmart with one of the kids the other day. And they're like, the Halloween stuff's out. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And, and I do the same thing. You can ask Ashley. We walk through and I'm doing the same thing, you know, screaming, <laughs> jumping up and down. It's great. I mean, it, it's funny because they immediately go from. All right, we're going to take all the summer 4th of July crap and we're going to replace it with the Halloween stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, like in between there, it's pencils and notebooks. Yeah, right. <laughs> For two weeks, it's back to school, then it's strictly Halloween. Right. And it's barely September. <laughs> and hey, I appreciate it, man. I, I know I'm, um, I, I don't know how you would say it, but I get mad when Christmas stuff is out early, but I'm glad when Halloween stuff is out early. So. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I've seen some cool stuff out there already. Yeah, yeah they've got some cool stuff this year. Um, we wanted to say thank you guys who have become patrons and who have been patrons, but we've gotten a lot of new patrons here in the mm-hmm. past month. So thank you to the new patrons, and thank you to all of you who have been supporting us since the beginning. Um, we are working on getting some new merch in um, so that we'll be able to send it out to you guys. So hang in there and we'll get it out to y'all. Um, we are ordering some posters that we are going to be able to send out to all of our $10 patrons. So if you're a $10 patron, you'll be getting a poster as soon as we get them ordered and in. That's right. And it's not going to be Adam in leather chaps. This time. <laughs> that was last time. Right, right. And and <laughs> in two months, it, it's cyclical. So every three months, uh, we oh, it's get sick. <laughs> it's sick and it's lickle. I don't know what lickle means. Then PG program. Let's, Let's not go there. On. Yeah. So in the sake of moving past that, why don't we take a quick break before we get into tonight's episode? Mens rea is the legal principle of intent that must be proved in a number of crimes, such as murder. It means literally, the guilty mind. The Mens Rea podcast explores the most notorious crimes from Ireland and the UK and the court cases that followed. Every fortnight, a new case is discussed. So if you like hard-hitting, in-depth true crime podcasts, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and subscribe to the Mens Rea podcast today. All right, Matt. So we're back at it. What are we talking about tonight? Okay, tonight we're going to we're going to delve into the world of secret societies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when you say secret society, you know, I, I, I guess if you're into it, you, you immediately start thinking of things like the Freemasons, mm-hmm. the Illuminati. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think Dan Brown's books have really pushed that into the forefront. Michael Again? Michael actually knows a whole lot about the Illuminati. Really? And that I think that that's one reason why we didn't do it. We didn't want to get shown up by a seven-year-old. <laughs> that's right. In knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so this idea that either 
you know, a long time ago or, or even now that there were groups of individuals that would get together in a closed group that either held knowledge or sought knowledge in order to either better themselves or better the world or take over the world. I know it sounds crazy, but that's the idea of this secret society thing. Right. I mean, you know, we're not really talking about you and your buddies meeting in a basement and, you know, having a few beers and, you know, sharing some stories that you don't, you don't go home and, and tell your partners. That's not a secret. Your mom knows about that. <laughs> That's right. You know, but, but some of these, um, like I said, the Freemasons, you know, the Illuminati, Skull and Bones, mm-hmm. you know, these are ones that you've heard and you've probably read about and they show up in Facebook uh, posts and and stuff like that. Um, those are the ones that you know about. So we think we kind of thought that'd been done. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to talk about a few that maybe you hadn't heard of right. that are a little more out there. Yeah. You know, yeah. A little more bizarre in some cases. Um, maybe, uh, maybe a little more dark. Right. So before we get into this, man, I wanted to interrupt you with a little di- uh, Graveyard Tales disclaimer here. Okay. okay. So the views and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of Graveyard Tales Entertainment and its affiliates. Please do not send hate mail, death threats, or hitmen to Graveyard Tales Entertainment or its affiliates. Send those to the people who wrote these articles. <laughs> Yeah, uh, please. Yeah, I had to get that out of the way because yeah. it's a little concerning. Yeah, we're 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 not we're not telling you anything other than what we were able to discover on our own. Right. We we have we have no affiliation with any of these groups. Right. Uh, nor do we have any opinions on good, bad, or the otherwise. We're going to share some interesting information about some of these societies. Yep. And if they're upset by it, don't be upset with us. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I don't think anybody uh, in, in the ones I'm going to talk about are listening to this show. Probably not, but you never know. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know. You never know. Yeah, um, I mean, I could be sitting across from one right now. Yeah, I wouldn't know because well, it's secret. Right, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> I hold my my brotherhood to higher standards than that. Uh, but Matt had mentioned the skull and bones. Um, and one of the reasons that we didn't do the skull and bones, people talk about them a lot and you hear a lot about, well, the bushes are in the skull and bones. And well, you know, John Kerry was in the skull and bones and da, 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 da. And you hear all these weird things about their initiations and all this stuff. What Matt and I have come to conclude from our research is the the skull and bones is basically a boys club um, for a bunch of rich people from Yale. And we we don't really feel like any of the theories that revolve around them are true. We could be wrong, but, you know, we kind of feel like they revel in that, you know, the having these theories about them and stuff. And that's why they don't argue them. But we really don't feel like they're as devious or anything yeah. as people think they are. It's kind of like if somebody had come up with uh, a conspiracy theory about you. Mm hmm. And just because you thought it was cool, 
you you played into it. Right. Exactly. That, that's almost. I don't know that that's it for a fact, but when you when you start reading some of this, it really looks that way. Right. Right. You know that they were like, oh, well, we can just play this up, and it's kind of cool. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And whenever asked about it, they're like, oh, it's a secret. Yeah. <laughs> Like you know, if you're in really in a secret society trying to do stuff, you're going to go. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. I'm. I'm I don't know I'm what not you're talking about. This. Yeah. Their most of their members wouldn't be just spread all over the internet until yeah. after the fact. We're, wearing you know? a skull and bones T-shirt. Right. <laughs> right. Hi, my name is. Yeah. <laughs> I joined the Skull and Bones, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. Exactly. And some pains from the initiation rites. <laughs> Uh, so we, we have for you guys tonight, four of the ones that we found the most interesting. Yeah. Um, so Matt, why don't you get the first one? Okay. So the first one I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about tonight are the Rosicrucians. And you might've touched on the Rosicrucians in history class. They, they've been around a really, really, really long time. Um, and you, you've probably heard it. You, you may not know that it's technically a, a secret society, um, but hopefully after we go into some of this history, you're going to kind of understand why they would be considered this. So first off, who who are they? Who are the Rosicrucians? Well, the Rosicrucians or Rosicrucianism is a, is a spiritual and cultural movement which arose in Europe in the early 17th century after the publication of several texts which purported the, uh, to announce the existence of an unknown esoteric order to the world and made seeking its knowledge uh, very attractive to a lot of people. The, this mysterious doctrine uh, was allegedly built on esoteric truths of the ancient past. Now, that is a quote from the Rosicrucians, which, and I quote, concealed from the average man, provide insight into nature, the physical universe, and the spiritual realm. So, in in essence, the Rosicrucians are a group of of mystics. You know, they they study mysticism um, almost like a a new age movement. Mm -hmm. You know, how can I become one with the universe and understand... uh, you know, life and why are we here and are we alone and this, this kind of stuff. Right. So the name Rosicrucian comes from Rosy Cross, which is an ancient symbol that's, you know, it's been around for a really long time and a lot of religious and pagan groups throughout history have used it. And chances are, if you looked at a picture of it, you would have, oh, well, I saw that. I've mm-hmm. seen that. I've mm-hmm. seen that, you know. Essentially, an ornate cross with with a rose. Sometimes it's it's colored, it's white, or it's red, and it's it appears to be coming out of the center of the cross, or the cross is covered in roses. Uh, there's a lot of adaptations to it, um, but the but the Rosicrucians essentially are a community of mystics who study and practice the metaphysical laws governing the universe. Now, there there are some things that you know, really kind of, you have to take into consideration, you know, when they were and what was going on in the world and things that were attributed to them that may or may not be right. So if we're talking about you, you 17th century Europe, 
you know, a lot of stuff was going on then. You know, there was a lot of problems. There was a lot of corruption, Mm -hmm. a lot of government corruption. And there was a lot of war, death, and revolt. Right. So they are believed. This is the Rosicrucians I'm talking about. They are believed by most conspiracy theorists to have founded the Freemasons, the Illuminati, and the Invisible College, and to have been the force behind every significant revolution in modern history. Hmm. You know, so this group, they were looking so much for enlightenment that when they when they saw things not going that way, they worked to reverse it. So if you take into consideration the French revolution, you're, you're looking at, you know, a society that was governed by, you know, wealth and, you know, just this lavish, ridiculous lifestyle. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. And the people were out there starving. Right. You know, they had nothing. And they're looking up and they're supposed to be following this king who has everything. Right. It's almost like, you know, I'm the kid with all the candy, but I'm not going to share. A very dramatic separation of wealth. You got it. Yep. So from from a Rosicrucianism standpoint, this was not good. This Mm -hmm. was not how things were supposed to be. Society couldn't sustain itself. In this manner, mm-hmm. thus begins the 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 push for change, which in turn became the French Revolution. Right. So that's just one example, but I mean, you know, even things like, um, you know, like like Martin Luther writing out against the Catholic Church and the corruption, you know, again. Right you know, would be an ideal that was consistent with Rosicrucianism. You know, there's a problem with society. We're looking for enlightenment, and the powers that be are keeping us from mm-hmm. it. You know, or or they're hiding knowledge that we want access to, that, that this, is, this is something that everyone should have. Early day freedom of information. Act. You got it. You got it. So how did they actually begin? Between 1614 and 1617, there were three anonymous manifestos published, first in Germany and then later throughout Europe. Now, these were the Frama Fraternitatis. I screwed that up. Give me a break. It's the burnt tongue. It is the burnt tongue. I'm just going to tell you, it means the fame of the Brotherhood of R.C. The Confessio Fraternitatis the Confession of the Brotherhood of R.C., and the Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosicross. Okay? Now, these were three manifestos that were published between 1614 and 1617. Now, the fame of the Brotherhood Manifesto presents the legend of a German doctor and mystic philosopher who's referred to as Father Brother C.R.C., now, he's later identified in the third manifesto as a man named Christian Rosenkreutz or Rose Cross. In the year 1378, um, 
he's presented as being, it's been the birth year of our Christian father. And it stated that he lived for 106 years. Not unheard of, but that's pretty long life, mm-hmm. especially that time. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you didn't really get to go to the doctor all that much. No. <laughs> and then, you know, there's only so much you can be bled to get rid of an evil spirit <laughs> right. in your stomach. Um, but after after the Christian father or Christian Rosencruz, uh began studying in the Middle East, he, he studied under several masters, um, possibly studying uh, Sufism. He was unable to spread the knowledge he had acquired throughout Europe. So he came up with a way to share this knowledge and make his push. Mm-hmm. So he gathered a small circle of friends or disciples and founded the Rosicrucian Order. Now, it's estimated that the Rosicrucian Order started around 1407. Okay, so we're, we're, we're moving. Like I said, they've been around a long, long time. Yeah. Okay, so during Rosencruz's lifetime, the order was said to have comprised of no more than eight members. Each was a doctor and a sworn bachelor. You know, so these men were unmarried and they were physicians. So each member undertook an oath to heal the sick, but without payment to maintain a secret fellowship and to find a replacement for himself before he died. So three generations had supposedly passed between 1500 and 1600, which was a time when the scientific, philosophical and religious freedom had grown that the public would benefit from the Rosicrucian knowledge. So now they were seeking good men. You know, they were, they were, they were actively looking for, for more members. Mm -hmm. So we fast forward to the modern day. We talked about how they started and what they were doing. So the modern day order of the Rosicrucians was founded in New York by a man named H. Spencer Lewis in 1915. And it is known as the AMORC, or the Ancient Mystical Order of the Rose Crucius. So, what do they do? So, I mean, we, we talked about, you know, they were, they were mystics, you know, they wanted to share this knowledge. Um, and so, now, now we fast-forwarded, you know, into the modern day. What the heck do these guys do? <laughs> so, for a few hundred dollars, you yourself can become a Rosicrucian. Well, good. Um, Just a small fee. Yeah. So <laughs> they collect money is what they mm-hmm. do. And they will send you printed lessons for self-study that teach you all about their mystical belief system. They are the keys to universal wisdom, like uh, Scientology, Freemasonry. Mm-hmm. The Rosicrucians, you reach levels based on the amount of study that you've put in. Or the amount of money that you've paid to get the study right. materials. Right. So, uh, so based on how much of this self-study you buy and read, you can perform your own initiation ceremony into the new degree right at home. Believe it or not. That's handy. I know. So, in your, in your first five years of a Rosicrucian, uh, you'll learn, uh, you'll go through three neophyte degrees. And you'll go from the first atrium through the third atrium and then to the temple section. Um, 
and you'll go from the first temple degree through the ninth temple degree. Now you're like, that doesn't, Matt, that doesn't mean jack squat to mm-hmm. me. Well, it does to somebody. Right. But just, I mean, just think, you know, hey, if, if you're, if you're a karate, let's use that. You're a, you're yellow belt, red belt, green belt, black belt, then third, fourth, fifth degree black belt. Right. So imagine the beginning of this, when you start, you're going through all the colors of the belt. Then you get to the black belt, and now you're going to go through all the degrees of the black belt sure. until you're Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee or something. Right. Okay. Chuck Norris. Yeah. I, I, I know. I, they may not be karate, but <laughs> kung fu, yeah. whatever. I don't I don't think the Rosicrucians <laughs> do karate either. <laughs> they might. They might, true. Rosa karate. There you go. So these are the topics that you're going to be studying, you know, when you when you order your how to become a Rosicrucian gift pack. And spend three grand. Mental alchemy, telepathy, telekinesis, vibroturgy, and radiesthesia. I had a vibroturgy joke, but we're going <laughs> to sail right on it. past that. We're going to skip it. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're going to learn about cosmic protection, mystical regeneration, attunement with the cosmic consciousness. So... Yeah, this is like uh, New Age, Crystal, None all that kind of stuff. None of those seem like things you can learn by yourself at home. I know. With a pamphlet. It's a self-study program, man. Yeah, it doesn't seem that way. And for nineteen ninety-five, you know, yeah, we'll plus double, shipping and handling. We'll double the offer. You'll double the offer, and you and your best friend can Both become get a vibraturgy. I'm, I'm making jokes, but this is legit. <laughs> yeah, right? So, um... And I mean, this isn't legit like 30, 40, 50 years ago. This is legit like tonight. You can go do it now if you want to. Uh, you know, I've been on the website. If anybody does, let me know how it works. That's right. I want to know. Did you learn anything? Can you walk through walls or something? Yeah. You know, do you know why the sun is the way it is? Do you, you know, do you see yourself in the stars? And I'm stuck on this, but let me know what a vibraturgy is. I, I don't want to, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. And I, I could, I, I tried, I couldn't figure it out. You know, you, you Google it yourself, see if you get better luck than I do. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the benefits that are available to modern Rosic- Rosicrucians, I love this, magical assistant. You have magical tech support. Nice. As a modern day Rosicrucian. So for if you need actual assistance, they can provide. Um, these petitioners via their Council of Solace and their website describes how this works. So this is from the website, okay? This is directly from the website. The council does this by putting certain spiritual energies into motion and directing them in accordance with mystical law and natural principles. Metaphysical aid is thus directed to individuals with health, domestic economic and or other problems and aid is also directed to those who are attuned with the council the aid of the council of solace operates on the cosmic plane it is actively and solely metaphysical and in no way interferes with any professional or healthcare assistance being received on the physical plane so essentially this is saying if you're sick we'll help heal you but you need to go to the doctor too. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, see, here's my thing. None of it, none of it, like, really, I argue because, like we've talked before, all of these things could be possible, you know, the, the, you know, all of that. What gets me is that all of these for a fee, you know, you have to pay these people to get this kind of help. That's what bothers me about it. It's like a pyramid scheme for, you know, mystical pyramids. Exactly. That's what bothers me. Hey, that maybe what if that was why the pyramids were there? This was the original pyramid the scheme. original reason for, <laughs> you actually got to walk into the pyramid. And I, I could see this comic strip where like King Tut and this little Egyptian worker are standing there and they're looking at the pyramid and uh, King Tut says, I think you took this pyramid scheme thing a little too literally. Yeah, right. <laughs> Up at the top, it says mental alchemy on the y- top Y'all may think, I think that's funny, but if, if you could see it in my head, you'd think it's hilarious, <laughs> I swear. But, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned that because the original Rosicrucians were all sworn to be physicians mm-hmm. and take no payment. Right. Well, they take some payment. Yeah. And their their headquarters, you know, the modern day headquarters uh, is in San Jose. Mm -hmm. And you can go. I mean, you can see it. I mean, it's really it's really strange. And there's like a big uh, like there's an Egyptian museum there, which I've heard is like actually really cool. Yeah, because there's a lot of connections between Egyptian history and the Rosicrucians, and I'm not joking because of my pyramid scheme joke. That's that's legit. So yeah. there's 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 connections there, um, but but yeah, they really do exist, um, and and you really can join. And you know, in reality, now I mean, you know, this is it's like up with people gone awry. You know, it's like hey, we're gonna you know we're a big self help group. You know, and we're mm-hmm. gonna we're gonna send good vibes your way. I mean, right. they they could just as easily, you know, be living in a tie dyed van. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but it's been so corrupted from the original right Rosicrucians. It's crazy. Right. right. I mean, the the original idea, you know, is that this man he traveled and he gained knowledge from around the world meeting other people and studying other beliefs and faiths and societies. And he took all that information to better society himself. Mm -hmm. And he realized that as one man, he could not do it. Right. But he needed to pass this information along. But, you know, in, in the 17th century, I mean, you know, he can't just go, he can't start blogging. Right. You know, to get his word out there. So he, he's got to find a way to make sure that this carries on. And so creating this small group of, of eight men to, to study and learn with him and then pass this knowledge along and replace themselves with someone else that gonna, that's going to in turn learn and carry on this tradition was the way he saw that he could do it. Right. So there's, there's some fairly famous members or supposed members of, of the Rosicrucians. Um, Descartes, the the French philosopher, William Shakespeare. You ever heard of him? A mm, little bit. Some. He's not that well known. No, not really. And philosopher and scientist Sir Francis Bacon. So, I, I, if if you're listening to this show, 
you know who Sir Francis Bacon is. Mm-hmm. I mean, most likely. I mean, because right. if you like our show, you've listened to other shows or you've done some study, and you know that, you know, Francis Bacon was, he, he was kind of an oddball. Um, but he was, for all practical purposes, brilliant. Right. You know, and, you know, had some, had some pretty out there views on things. Um, in fact, some people believe that Sir Francis Bacon wrote the majority of William Shakespeare's stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so more, more conspiracy theory in that. Or that's, that's for another show. Right. Um, but they also think that, that Bacon may have been the, the original author of the first two manifestos. So not only was he a member, he may have been, you know, the original founder. Right. Um, but you know, that, that's Rosicrucianism in, in a nutshell, you know, it's kind of, kind of weird, kind of cool. Yeah. You know, kind of new agey kind of makes me want to put on, put on a crystal and listen to some. Grateful you know, Dead. Hey man, <laughs> get off the dead, brother. <laughs> Coming from a guy who has teddy bear stickers in tie dye. Teddy bear. Yeah. Teddy bear. I'm sorry, gummy bears. Dancing bears. I'm sorry, gummy bears. <laughs> oh my. All right. So before Matt hits me, we're gonna move. And on. you want to be my latex salesman, <laughs> right? All right. So we're gonna move on. Um, I, I was looking up one, um, that it, it very similar to, um, Matt's last one here, but this one is the hermetic order of the golden dawn. Now you've probably heard about it. You know, if, if you do any research into some of this stuff, you may have heard the name, um, but you may not know a lot about it. So we'll get into it a little bit here. Um, so what was the Golden Dawn. It was an organization that was devoted to the study and practice of the occult, metaphysics, and paranormal activities during the late 19th century and the early 20th century. Um, They were known as a magical order. They were active a lot in Great Britain and focused practices on theurgy, which is a system of white magic that kind of has the effect of a supernatural being into human affairs. So it's, you know, a higher being um, that gets involved in human affairs and spiritual development. Now, many present day concepts of ritual and magic that are at the center of a lot of traditions like Wicca and Thelema were inspired by the Golden Dawn. Um, and it became one of the largest single influences of 20th century Western occultism. Now, there were three founding members of the Golden Dawn. It was William Robert Woodman, William Wynne Westcott, and Samuel Liddell Mathers. They were all Freemasons. So, Man, they come up with all this, don't they? Right. The, the Masons have their fingers in all pies. Um, <laughs> Westcott appears to have been the initial driving force behind it um, from everything that all, all the information that you can find. He was the one that really kind of got it going. Um, the Golden Dawn system was based on a hierarchy and initiation, a lot like the Masonic Lodges. However, unlike the Masonic Lodges, women were admitted on an equal basis with men. 
Now, the Golden Dawn was actually the first of three orders, although kind of together they are known as the Golden Dawn. But the first order taught esoteric philosophy based on the Hermetic Kabbalah and personal development through study and awareness um, of the four elements, you know, wind, water, fire, heart. Sorry, that's heart. A, that's a Captain Planet thing. I was Sorry. Say, what? Sorry. Any Captain Planet fans will understand that. Sorry. <laughs> Moving on. Um, the the second or inner order, um, the Rose Rubier. Um, it was the Ruby Rose and Cross of Gold. Um, they taught magic, including scrying, astral travel, and alchemy. Now, the third order was that of the secret chiefs and they were said to be highly skilled and they directed all the activities of the lower two orders by spirit communication with the chiefs of the second order. So they never really contacted directly any of the higher orders. They, they kind of did it through telepathy and spiritual means. Now, they had this, you know, weird system, I guess you would say. It was based on the the highest order, the third order. They had transcended past the physical body. So you never saw these people. You know, they, they had been practicing this for so long that they ascended basically to the next plane. Um, so when you contacted them, it was like through meditation and these other things that the second order taught you. So what are the different grades of the orders? You know, with the first order, you had the introduction or the neophyte level, uh, which you'll hear in a lot of mm-hmm. secret societies. Yeah. Ne- neophyte. Neophyte. They like that word. They do. That That's a fancy word. Um, I always think of like tadpoles or something. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why. Yeah. For some reason, when I hear the word neophyte, I always think I learned that in like cell biology or something. Yeah. It sounds like that kind of word. I I don't know that it is. I couldn't tell you. (laughs) I mean, it just sounds like that. (laughs) So So I'm like, why are you calling me this? Yeah. Why are you calling me a tadpole? Just, yeah. Um, So this means a newbie. Right. It's it's the first order, the, the introductory level of any of these groups. Um, there's the Zelator and the Theoricus, and then we move on to the second order. And I'm just kind of skimming through these because there's a lot of different orders. And it basically is each time you move up in practice, you get to a new level. Hey, did you have a Zelator action figure? No. Man, I did. Did you? Yeah. How big was it? It was all blue and (laughs) had a skull. Wait. No, then you're thinking of a different comic book. Wait, that was... Oh, yeah, it was Skeletor. Yeah. We're we're talking about Captain Planet comedy here. We're not going to Skeletor. <laughs> Look, I know. I'm just, I'm beating Adam to death for jumping in on his story. You're crossing right? genres here. I know it. Um, so the second order, you had the intermediates or the portal grade um, is what that was. So remember, we talked about they were the ones that did the scrying and all that. So they were in the portal basically to the next realm hey, just just for the the sake of listeners that might be getting kind of lost tell us what it tell us about what scrying is adam okay scrying is basically uh the easiest way to put it is you've got a 
reflective surface. So you mm-hmm. can use either a mirror, a bowl of water. Bowl of water is what I've always right. seen. Um, and you basically stare into this reflective surface and clear your mind. And you're supposed to be able to see visions of either the past or the future and get messages from the other realm, the spiritual realm, another dimension or something. Um, and, you know, a lot of adepts in scrying say they can scry in anything that is reflective. Right. Um, there was a many, many moons ago, um, there was a guy who used to claim that he was so good at scrying he could scry in the reflection off his thumbnail. So, I yeah, my thumbnails are not that shiny. I was going to say, I, I'm looking at my thumbnail now, and I need to I need to clip my nails. Right. That's one thing I know. Yeah. But I don't see a reflection. No, but he claimed he could, he was that good, that you needed an uh, answer to something, he could do it in his thumbnail. Um, so, really weird. <laughs> You got a magic eight ball. I got a magic thumbnail. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that's what this second order did is they were the the communicators um, and basically told the first order what the third order would tell them through this means of communication. Um, now, influences on the Golden Dawn, they include Christian mysticism, the Kabbalah, Hermeticism, the religion of ancient Egypt, Theurgy, which we talked about before, Freemasonry, alchemy, theosophy, and Enochian magic, and Renaissance grimoires. And Enochian magic, if you if you have read any of the Old Testament in the Bible, Enoch is a figure in the Bible. Uh, we won't go into all of that because the story of Enoch is for another time. Um, because it's a long one. Um, now, according to accepted traditions, the manuscripts that began this order were handed down uh, from a Masonic scholar to Woodford, um, who he then passed them to Westcott. And you remember we mentioned Westcott before. And in 1887, it is said that Westcott allegedly managed to decode them Um, so he brought this message to the other guys and this began the hermetic order of the golden dawn through some manuscripts that he transcribed, um, an alternate, alternate, alternative history states that the cipher manuscripts were received by a noted Masonic scholar. Um, from secret chiefs of the third order, which is a continental Rosicrucian mystery school into which a lot of these guys um, were involved. So Rosicrucianism has kind of a tie into the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So you wonder who some of the known members of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn were I tried to pick out, because there was a ton of them, so I tried to pick out some that people might know. Um, Sarah Allgood, who is an Irish stage actress. Um, Alan Bennett, uh, he was known for introducing Buddhism to the West. Algernon Blackwood, he was an English writer and radio broadcaster of supernatural stories. Alistair Crowley, who was the German occult writer 
and founder of neo-paganism movement in Germany. E. Nesbitt, who was an English author and political activist. You had two of the co-creators who actually created the Raider White tarot deck. So if you know anything about tarot cards, you may know of these people's names. William Butler Yeats, who is an Irish poet, and Bram Stoker was also a member of the Golden Dawn. We talked about uh, W.B. Yeats mm-hmm. in the previous episode. Right. And uh, he was actually a member of the Golden Dawn. But I think Bram Stoker and Aleister Crowley were probably the two most famous. Now, there are contemporary Golden Dawn orders that have kind of lived on, though it's um, mainly defunct. The The biggest part of it is. Um, but they kind of revived themselves in the 1970s. Um, so among these groups is you have the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, Inc., um, the o- Open Source. <laughs> incorporated. Yep. They, they incorporated <laughs> themselves. Um, you have the Open Source Order of the Golden Dawn, and you have Ordo Stella Matutina. So if you look up any of those, those are new versions of the Golden Order. That list makes me want to go. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things does not belong. Is it the ink or is it the Ordo Stella? (laughs) The the Ordo Stella. Yeah. The the other ones sound like, you know, regular modern day names. Mm -hmm. You know, this was like, oh, well, we're we're going to go with this. Right. Are you sure? Are people going to be able to pronounce it? No, we're going with it. Right. So. Because I was thinking Order of the Golden Dawn LLC. Yeah. That that sounds too much like the other one. So, as we go here, um, the next two are going to get a little darker. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to get a little more serious and a little more modern day. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we, so, we've had some fun with these first two. Yeah, so these next two are the reason for the disclaimer that we had previously. So the attitude around here may change a little bit as we delve into these a little bit. So, Matt, why don't you get the next one? This one I'm going to talk about is I don't even I don't even know how to describe this. I I had no idea that this group even existed, which, hey, why would I? They're a secret society, but they're they're out there Um, and they've got some ties to uh, to Satanism. and 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 then not so, okay. This is the Order of Nine Angels. So, who who are they? the The Order of Nine Angels, or the ONA, as it's abbreviated, is a secretive satanic or satanist. Let me let me make sure I say that right. It's a satanist organization. Those two words have different meanings: satanic and satanist. Two different things. They are a satanist organization. Initially formed in the United Kingdom, uh, which really became, uh, really rose to, uh, to to public prominence in the in the 1980s and the 1990s, after having been mentioned in books uh, detailing fascist Satanism. Now, presently, the ONA is organized around clandestine cells, which it calls trend, uh, traditional nexions. 
and around what it calls sinister tribes. So how did they begin? So according to their own testimony, the Order of Nine Angels were originally formed in England in the 1960s with the merger of three neo-pagan temples called the Kamlad, the Noctulans, and the Temple of the Sun. So what what do these what do these guys do? I mean they're obviously um you know satanist to some level but the order of nine angels postulates that satanism as being a highly ind- individualized quest I can't talk tonight again that aims to create self-excellence and wisdom by undertaking challenges that allow a person to transcend his physical and mental limits. So on the front end, it sounds like another new age group. We're going to, you know, we're going to teach you how to transcend your own mind, body, and spirit. You know, how to gain some level of higher knowledge. In this case, it's through Satanism. But it gets a little worse. (laughs) It's it's meant to involve the arduous achievement of self-mastery and Nietzschean self-overcoming with an emphasis on individual growth through practical acts of risk, prowess, and endurance. So the rites of passage, they're often connected to some another promotion of grade level. So just like a lot of these societies, you're going you're gonna to move from one level upward to the next level by study, you know, self-reflection, in this case, um, these 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 physical feats of endurance and strength and and risk. Um, one of them includes spending three months living rough in a forest uh, without any human contact, and the assumption of difficult occupations to develop personality and leadership ability. So you're going to get a crappy job so that you can better your personality. And and your uh, and your leadership ability. So you know, if you can lead these clowns to do something, you you must be special. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes some skill to get these morons to do a job. Right. That's essentially what it's saying. This is meant to aid in the evolution of the individual. Now, this is a quote. This new individual will be fierce, free, exultant exploration and discovery, and possess an essentially pagan attitude to life. This, in turn, will lead to the transformation of society into a higher refined civilization. So we see, again, common themes with these secret societies. Their their ultimate goal is to transform society as it is. Mm-hmm. We've seen it in essentially everything we've talked about tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's somebody or a group of somebodies that have this idea that society stinks we need to make it better. You need to work on yourself and that will make society better. Mm-hmm. Okay. On the, I mean, if you take it at face value, it doesn't sound like a bad thing at all until you get into this. <laughs> the, uh, the ONA's writings condone and encourage human sacrifice as a means of eliminating the weak. And one Anton Long describes it as a contribution to improving the human stock. 
removing the worthless, the weak, the diseased. This culling serves not just as a social Darwinian purpose, but it also is connected to the promotion of a new eon. The change that is necessary means that there must be a culling or many cullings which remove the worthless and those detriment to further evolution. Or as I like to say, thinning the herd. Right. (laughs) That's basically what they're saying. I mean, yeah, I mean, it is. But I mean, you know, now we're we're talking about human sacrifice here. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, we're talking about the purge. Where where it really gets kind of sticky is that um, the Church of Satan and the Temple of Set, which are probably the two most known um, Satanism groups, they renounce any kind of connection with Order of Nine Angels. So, like I said, you know, the ideas of this, um, you know, initially sound like, all right, yeah, I'm going to make myself a better person, and I'm going to help this guy make himself a better person, and together we're going to make society better. Then they go, oh, but you know, this third person over here, we got to take him out. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, wait, what? I, I, I was all about this. I'm going to study, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to get better. I, I, you know, I didn't sign up for human sacrifice of any type. That's where it goes. Right. You know, so when Adam made this disclaimer, this is exactly what we were talking about. You know, we're not believing in this. We're sharing um, what we were able to find about these secret societies that exist today. Right. You can go and visit the ONA's website. You can learn how to become a member. And you can read all of their doctrine. Mm-hmm. It's it's out there and it's not hard to find. Google it. Three searches down. Right. You're on their You're on their website. So because of this radical stance, I mean, not only does the Church of Satan and uh, the Temple of Set kind of push themselves away, there's open animosity between the two. So the ONA publicly disavows any connection to the Church of Satan, claiming that the Satanic Bible is watered down philosophy. The ONA eschews the religious type of approach evident in groups such as the Temple of Set and with regards to other satanic groups such as the such as the Church of Satan they um they don't want anything to do with them either so um a, a pretty interesting um group here that like i said is is an operation today mm-hmm. um no indication on how many members or um you know, where, where you could go to connect with members or anything, just a lot of online reading material and, and how to, how to sign up. And it's probably one of those things where they, they contact you kind of thing, you know, could be you sign this letter, send us a check and someone will make themselves known to you. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that sounds scary. That sounds like dark web kind of stuff, but you know, like I said, I found this, you know, with a simple Google search, right? It's not it's not dark web stuff. I don't I don't deal with that kind of business. Um, you know, it's out there. You know, so again, like like Adam said at the beginning, we, we're not we don't we don't believe in this stuff. 
we're not out there preaching against it. We're just telling you, this is when we started researching, you know, secret societies, um, you know, in the modern day, this is one that kept coming up. And so that's why I wanted to share this because it's, it's interesting enough. It's, it's pretty scary that, you know, there are people out there that kind of mm-hmm. think this way. Yeah. We still have people in the world that think about human sacrifice. Sure. You know. Sure. And, you know, and I'm sure in some manner that that occurs, mm-hmm. you know, in 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 dark circles of the world, in in places that people don't like to think about, but that these things do occur. Um, and, and this just scratches the surface of it. Right. Um, you know, n- no indicator that these people actually do it. They just promote the idea of it. Right. You know, um, but pretty interesting. And I, I think when you, uh, when you listen to the, uh, about the group that Adam's got to share next, you're going, <laughs> if this one didn't get you, the next one will. Right. And this, this is another one, like Matt was saying, that we did the disclaimer for. This is just, you know, this one to me, the, the reason it's last is because it scares me the most. So we'll just get into it. Um, I've got the Bilderberg group. It doesn't sound too scary at first, uh, but this research that I found was done by Daniel Estulin over a 14-year period where he was able to kind of infiltrate and find out stuff about the Bilderberg group. Now, their first meeting was in May of 1954. Now, from his book, he quotes, The most powerful men in the world met for the first time. In Oosterbeek, Netherlands, they debated the future of the world and decided to meet annually in secret. Now, membership represents kind of a who's who of the world power elites, mostly from America, Canada, and Western Europe, with familiar names like Rockefeller, Henry Kissinger, Bill Clinton, Gordon Brown, Alan Greenspan, George Soros, Donald Rumsfeld, and Rupert Murdoch. Other heads of state, influential senators, congressmen, and parliamentarians, Pentagon and NATO brass, members of European royalty, certain media figures, and then, you know, some what they call fourth estate people that have been secretly invited in. Always, they say, that are well represented are top figures from the Council of Foreign Relations, the World Bank, the Trilateral Commission, the European Union, and powerful central bankers from the Federal Reserve and Bank of England's Mervyn King. Now, for half a century, they have never disclosed any agenda or discussion topics to the public, nor is any press coverage allowed. Um, the fourth estate people that I had mentioned before and their bosses are sworn to secrecy. Quote, whatever its early mission, the group is now a, quote, shadow world government, which threatens to take away our rights to direct our own destinies at, uh, by creating a disturbing reality. Very much 
harming the public's welfare. In short, Bilderbergs, or the Bilderbergers as they're called, want to supplant individual nation-state sovereignty with an all-powerful global government, corporate-controlled, and checkmated by militarized enforcement. That right there, it seems pretty wild and out there. Um, but like I said, I'm reading from David Eschulin's research, but this is basically mirroring a lot of the other things that I have found. So though it comes just from him, there are several different people that have stated basically the same thing. Um, now, early in its history, um, they decided to create an aristocracy of purpose between Europe and the United States um, to reach a consensus to rule the world on matters of policy, economics, and overall strategy. NATO was essential for their plans to ensure perpetual war and nuclear blackmail to be used if necessary. They then proceed to loot the planet, achieve great wealth and power, and crush all challengers to keep it. Along with military dominance, controlling the world's money is crucial for when it comes to absolute control. You know, this was as the Rothschild family understood, because as the patriarch Amschel Rothschild once said, give me control of a nation's money and I care not who makes its laws. The Bilderbergs are the world's most exclusive club. You can't buy your way in. Um, only the group's, quote, steering committee decides who to invite. Um, in all cases, participants are adherents to one world order governance run by top power elites. Now, according to the steering committee rules, the invited guest must come alone. No wives, girlfriends, husbands, or boyfriends. Personal assistants like security bodyguards or any Secret Service protectors cannot attend the conference and must eat in a separate hall. Um, the guests are explicitly forbidden from giving interviews to journalists or divulge anything that goes on in the meetings. Now, the host government provides all of the security to keep away outsiders. Third-party attendees are usually political figures. The others are from industry, finance, academia, labor, and communications. Meeting procedure is by Chatham House rules, which basically means attendees can freely express their views in a relaxed atmosphere, knowing nothing said will be quoted or reveal, revealed to the public. Meetings are, quote, always frank, but do not always conclude with a consensus. Now, what are the objectives of the Bilderberg Group? If you didn't get that from what I said earlier, these are what the supposed objectives of the Bilderberg Group are. The group's grand design is for a one-world government, a single global market policied by one world army and financially regulated by one world central bank using global currency. Now, their wish list includes one international identity that has one set of universal values, centralized control of world populations by, quote, mind control, in other words, controlling the world public opinion. A new world order with no middle class, only rulers and servants. 
and no democracy. So that sounds a lot like what we, you know, had hundreds and hundreds of years ago, like we talked very early on in the episode, a drastic difference in the money. A zero-growth society without prosperity or progress, only greater wealth and power for the rulers, manufactured crisis and perpetual wars, absolute control of education to program the public mind and train those chosen for various roles, centralized control of all foreign and domestic policies, basically a one-size-fits-all kind of global thing. They would use the UN as a de facto world government imposing a UN tax on world citizens, expanding NAFTA and WTO globally, making NATO a world military, imposing a universal legal system, and a global welfare state. Now, they, they want to have a public mind control, like mentioned earlier. And... This would go through, you know, what, according to sociologist Hadley Cantrill said in his 1967 book, The Human Dimension, Experiences in Policy Research, government psychopolitical operations are propaganda campaigns designed to create perpetual tension and to manipulate different groups of people to accept the particular climate of opinion the CFR seeks to achieve in the world. So, basically, what people say about the Bilderberg Group is that they are trying to control the world. They are high-ranking people in our society with a lot of power that meet to basically seal our fate in one way or another. So, whether you believe any of that or not, if any of that is true, that's terrifying. But, you know, again, when you when you talk about the Bilderbergs, you're you still see this underlying theme of we want to alter society in some manner. Right. Whether it's for the betterment of all or for the betterment of me mm-hmm. or for the idea of, well, we're going to control society. And make it what we want it to be. Right. You know, so. Um, that is that, a, a theme. That is, a, it's a theme with, with, the, you know, it, at least the four secret societies that we've talked about tonight. And if you look into others, it's, it, it is a common thread that goes mm-hmm. through all of them. Right. That maybe at its core, you can see some positivity it's all in the execution and what their end goal is right you know well things things aren't as good as they can be we've got an idea how to make them better Mm -hmm. better for whom right you know sometimes it's you know it's better for myself or like i said it's it's better for mankind and in, in some cases it's it's better for my small group, you know, if everybody gets on board with this and does things the way we think they ought to be done, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and I understand this idea that how do I get people to fall in line? I control the money. 
Right. You know, if there's any driving force, you know, throughout the world, it's going to be money. And if I control how much money that the the public gets, I control the public. Right. So, you know, we'll we'll state again that we will not express any opinions on the legitimacy of any of these groups. That's right. But let us know if you think any of these are legit, if any of these still have power, or basically just what your thoughts are on any of these. So we better wrap this up before we get ourselves into more trouble. <laughs> no kidding. With any no of kidding. these groups. So, hey, we uh, we hope you enjoyed our, our uh, little discussion tonight. Um, go and visit our website, please, graveyardpodcast.com. Uh, check out the link for our live event coming up October 20th. Um, on the website, you can purchase merchandise. Uh, there's information on how you can become a patron. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who has um, donated to the show. And we're, we're putting more and more um, Patreon-exclusive content out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that stuff, that stuff's a lot of fun. Adam and I kind of, well, we kind of let loose more than we do on a regular show. Right. People are like, how could you possibly do that? Yeah, right. Unprofessional. (laughs) (laughs) We're even more unprofessional. Um, but please, um, you know, go check out our website. Um, if you're interested on, uh, what kind of stuff we put out for Patreon and like we've, we've said before, we're putting out more and more, um, you know, donate to the show. We really appreciate it. It helps Adam and I uh, keep this thing going. Um, and and join our Facebook group. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger every day. We're mm-hmm. up we're close to 900 members now. Did you Have you looked at that lately? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of people in there. And every day there's something that I've not heard about or there's something absolutely hilarious or something spawns a conversation um, between members of the group that it just... I mean, it's just fantastic, and and Adam and I just a lot of times we just get to sit back and enjoy, right? Um, but um, but yeah, you, uh, we we pop in there from time to time, so there's a good chance you're going to see uh, Adam and I comment um, on some things. Um, go and rate and review us on iTunes. I know it sounds like a broken record, but it's the best way for people to find us, and it brings more people into the graveyard. So. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.